Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Good to see you today and uh, glad to be with you. Glad to be back with you after being away last weekend. And welcome to all of you who are joining us online. Really glad you can join us today as well. Uh, hey, if you didn't know, uh, my family and I, we were able to travel uh, over New Year's to celebrate Christmas with my side of the family. But yeah, we had a good time. I hope you had good holidays. And, uh, but they leave you kind of exhausted, don't they? I mean, things just kind of get crazy for a couple weeks. You're really excited leading into it. And then there's all this excitement, everything going on, so much activity often for many of us, but you come out on the other side and you're just like, whew, I need a vacation. I need some more time off. And some of you, if you've got kids at home, uh, you're, you're, you're right there. You're almost there. I have great hope for you. They go back tomorrow. Tomorrow is the day. Good news. Sorry if you're a teacher. Great if you're just a stay-at-home mom. And uh, sorry for the kids too, but it'll be... It'll be good, but it'll be good just to get back into a normal rhythm and out of kind of the crazy. I wonder, what do you do when life gets crazy? How do you respond? How do you react? What, what happens in your life when, you know, everything is thrown out of rhythm and everything, maybe it's just the chaos of the holidays. Maybe though, it's, it's not just normal chaos. It's like some big life event is happening or some big conflict or some... What do you do when life gets crazy? We're gonna talk about that today. And I'd encourage you that what we're gonna talk about is not just for when life is crazy, but also for when it's not. Because we're gonna see God's people, we're getting back into our series in, through the book of Acts in the New Testament. We're gonna be in chapter four today. And we're gonna see that they've had some crazy days leading up to the narrative we're in this morning. And uh, what do they do? They, they pray. They turn to God. And you know, that's what I encourage you and invite you this morning to do as well. When life is crazy and when it's not. And so even as we begin this morning, before we dive into God's word, would you join me? Let's just, let's go to him now and pray and ask for uh, his help to understand his word and be changed by it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you uh, for your goodness and your grace to us, Lord. And uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that in the midst of of uh, whatever it is each of us bring in this morning with us. The, the chaos, the craziness, the struggle of our own lives. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you encourage our hearts? Would you meet us where we are? Uh, encourage us where we need encouraged. Rebuke us where we need rebuked. Uh, and in every way, change us in so many ways that we need to be changed. Help us today. Help me, I pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, as I unpack your word, let my words be your own. And Jesus, might you be honored today in Jesus' Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, if you got your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter four. And uh, we've been in Acts chapter four already, and we're gonna pick it up kind of midway through this morning. Acts chapter four, starting in verse 23. Starting in verse 23, here's where we're, we're at. <clears throat> we just read this. When, when they were released, and I only highlighted this section so far because if you haven't been with us or you just kind of forgot, you haven't been reading through Acts still in the meantime when we took a break over Christmas, you might go, okay, well, what's the context here? What's happening when they were released from, from where? What's going on? Well, I think it'd be good for us just to take a dive back and jump backwards a little bit and review some of the context of where we've been. We were in Acts all fall. We're gonna be in, in it uh, pretty much this entire year, probably maybe even into 2024 and uh, working our way through this book. So let's just see a little bit where we've been and do a short review. The they there, Peter and John, <clears throat> excuse me. And in Acts chapter three, uh, well, let me even back up further. Jesus had uh, died on the cross. He had been buried. He, he rose to new life and spent 40 days with his disciples and with his followers on the earth before ascending to be with the Father. He does that in Acts chapter one, and then in chapter two, he sends the Holy Spirit as our helper in his place. And in Acts three, after the Spirit has come, uh, Peter and John are leaders in the early church, and uh, God has been doing some incredible things, growing the church, so many people coming to faith. And one of the things they were in the habit of doing was praying and worshiping God and spending time together. And so each day they would go actually up to the temple to pray to the Temple Mount. And in Acts chapter three, Peter and John, we read of them going up to the Temple Mount, which the temple was there, but then there was a huge, huge courtyard that would hold thousands of people uh, surrounding it. And they go up there to pray at the hour of prayer, you would read in Acts three. Well, the hour of prayer was about three o'clock in the afternoon. There were, there were other designated times, nine o'clock, noon, and three o'clock. This would have been that afternoon time. And as they go in to pray, they walk through one of the gates and they walk past a man who's sitting there who's been an invalid since birth. He can't walk, he can't move, he's just totally lame. And he would rely on people every day to bring him there to beg for alms, to beg for money, for help. Well, as they pass him, he begins begging to uh, Peter and John. And Peter and John say, hey, look at us. We don't have silver or gold for you, but what we have, we give you. And so they take him by the hand and say, rise up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and walk. And he's healed. They heal him. Well, they don't heal him. God heals him through them. Well, if you knew somebody, maybe you know somebody who's uh, had some physical difficulties or even been paralyzed their entire life. Imagine if one day you see them up jumping and walking and running around. Everybody had known this guy. He had been coming there his entire life for 40 plus years, the text tells us. And so this caused quite a stir. After uh, Peter and John, uh, God uses them to heal him, uh, Peter and John uh, pray and then they go back to an area called Solomon's portico or the porch. See, around this huge temple mount where there would have been thousands of people able to gather, there were these colonnades. And one of those colonnades was called Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Portico or Solomon's Porch. Hey, thank you very much. And uh, they would, the, the early church would have met there together uh, to worship and to pray and to, to, to grow and to hear from God's word. And so they retreat to that place, but 
Here's the deal. The guy that they healed, he's following right behind them. And right behind him is everybody going, isn't that the guy who was lame? What's going on? And they begin looking at Peter and John going, that's the guy, there's the guys who healed him. Well, Peter recognizes an opportunity and uh, he begins to preach the gospel. And he says to them, he says, uh, hey, people, what is so surprising about this? Why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our power or our godly? This has nothing to do with us. Do you know why he's walking? Jesus did this. The same Jesus that uh, you all abandoned and crucified. He's risen from the grave. He's alive and he's at work. <clears throat> and he healed this man. Excuse me for a second while I take a drink. He healed this man. And he goes on and tells them that they too could be healed and made whole if they'd simply turned to him. Whole, like, like not just physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, made whole. And, uh, well, you can imagine uh, Peter preaching and all these people begin gathering over in this area. It got the attention of the religious leaders who kind of cared for the Temple Mount the captain of the temple guard who ensured safety and security in that area. And so they come over and uh, this group of people, the captain of the temple guard and uh, the Sadducees and other priests and leaders who wanted and had Jesus crucified uh, a few months prior, they thought in crucifying Jesus, this would eliminate the problem of these Jesus people. But from their perspective, it amplified it because the church grew rapidly and incredibly. And uh, it became a, a bigger issue than it had ever been. And now what's going on today? What are these guys doing? And so they go over and um, Peter and John get arrested by these leaders and taken into custody. If you keep reading earlier in uh, end of chapter three, early in chapter four, because of the time of day, evidently Peter had been preaching for a while. Now we're up to about 6 p.m. and the day was almost over. And so they take them into custody and hold them until the next morning to put them on trial before the council of all the religious leaders. Well, when they're put on trial, they, they, they don't know what to do. I mean, clearly this guy has been healed and God empowers Peter in that moment, in the midst of all of that, to speak with even greater boldness to them. And, and he again shares the gospel. He again shares about Jesus. And so they threaten him and they threaten Peter and John and they say, hey, y'all need to shut up about Jesus. Just stop. That's enough. They're like, well, uh, we can't really do that. I mean, who is it for us to obey you rather than God? I mean, he's God. He's, he sent us. We can't help but talk about what we know to be true. And they had been held and tried and after threatening them in many, many ways. That brings us to the text this morning. They were released. Because they couldn't really punish them because all the people who were there in the moment, they couldn't get away with that. So they threatened them and let them go. So let's pick it up now in the story. Now that you're kind of caught up, what did they do? after they were, were released, well, they, they went to their friends and they reported to their friends what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, when their friends heard it, 
They lifted their voices together to God. Uh, we're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna talk about prayer and, and praying in, in a real way, in an honest way with God, trusting him in the reality of things that are going on that maybe we really wish were different. Maybe realities that we've caused for ourselves. And, and we're gonna talk about that. But I wanna draw your attention to, to one thing before we do that when Peter and John were released, where did they go? They went to their friends. They went to those with whom they did life together with other believers. Do you know God designed you? I'm gonna go off on a little rabbit trail and then we're coming back. God designed you to do life with other people, not to go through life alone. In fact, uh, if you want some proof of that, when God created everything, and just go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, he created everything, and after he created each thing, do you know what he said? This is good. This is good. But there was one thing before sin entered the world that he said was not good. Do you remember what it was? In, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said it's not good that the man would be alone. He needs a friend. He needs other people. God designed us that way. He made us as image bearers, like we mirror and we reflect God. And one of the things we reflect is the fact that God is a relational God. In the Trinity, he's always in relationship, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, eternally with one another. Well, do you know, the only way you can reflect that aspect of who God is, is with another believer, or believers, plural, and being in friendship, being in relationship. See, when they were released, they went to their friends. And what, what we would say in uh, our core values as a church is, is God designed us all needing friends. We all need friends. We do. You know, there's no such thing in the Bible as a Lone Ranger Christian. There's just not. God designed you needing other people. He designed you and me lacking in and of ourselves. Well, one of the primary ways, the primary way, we would encourage you to do this at Wallace Bible within our church is get plugged into a life group. You can get signed up today as you leave uh, to get into a life group. Uh, we used to call them 110 groups based on Colossians 110. Paul is praying for the church there and he says, you know, we've, we've not ceased to pray for you asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, with God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and so that you would walk, you would grow in a way uh, that's uh, fully honoring to the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. Well, that happens and God does that by connecting you with other believers. And, and we would say, hey, get into a life group. Our life groups are designed to, to help you with uh, one of two major things. Have you noticed, uh, sorry, we're still on this rabbit trail. We're coming back, I promise. Uh, the times where you've grown in your life spiritually, when have those been? I would argue they're probably, they probably fall into one of two categories when you've like really grown in maybe some significant ways. One would be a moment where you need to know something. 
Like this came up, I gotta know. I gotta know what God's word says about this. I gotta know uh, what to do in this situation. I've, uh, there's, I'm lacking, I gotta know. And for whatever reason, God maybe has grown you in unique ways through that time in your life, that season. Another time uh, where maybe you've grown the most, the second one is not just need to know moments, but need to grow. Like if I'm gonna make it, I've gotta change. I need God to change me. I need God to help me. I, something's gotta change. I've got to grow in this moment, in this season. And, and it just seems to be the pattern. We tend to have our biggest growth moments in those need to know or need to grow moments. Do you know what the Holy Spirit uses primarily to help you grow in those moments? I would argue those two things are available to you in a life group. Two major things. Well, we could add on prayer as a third. But those two things are one, um, well, let's just say we could take you and line you with Velcro up one side and down the other. We Velcro you to these things. Number one is God's word. God uses his word to change us. It's the power of God unto salvation, right? And that's the gospel. So you get Velcro to God's word, studying God's word in relationship with other people. Uh, What does it say? What does this mean? How does this apply to my life? But the other tool that the Holy Spirit uses in big ways to change us and help us grow is not just his word, but it's his people. It also Velcros you to other Christians who are filled with the spirit as well and can can help you grow and can encourage you or sometimes just be with you in the midst of whatever's going on. But sometimes there's nothing to say, but to know you're loved and to know there's people with you who care and love you is huge. And that's the goal of life group. So if, if you're not plugged into one, I encourage you to get plugged into one. Give it time. It takes time to develop those friendships and those deep relationships, but it's worth it if you do it. So just challenge you to consider investing that time and getting plugged in to a life group. It will be worth your while. And so then when life gets crazy for you, you too can be like Peter and John. And when you're released from that craziness, you can go to your friends and report what's happened. Well, uh, when they do, notice what happens. See, life had been crazy for them, all the things that had happened, and the reality is it's gonna get crazier. When they get there, what do they do? But they, well, their friends heard it, and so all of them began praying. They lifted their voices to God. They prayed about what was going on. I hope you do that in your life group too. Uh, Spend time praying. And not just praying like, God, thanks for this, you know, those things. It's good to pray and thank God for small things, but let me encourage you to pray real prayers. Now, I don't mean like real versus fake in terms of, uh, I mean real in the sense that you're really bearing your heart. You're, You're really praying about the reality of what's going on. Not just going through the motions, but being real. And, and praying about those things and, and, and trusting in those friendships God's given you. See, when they were released, they went to their friends, they reported everything that had happened and what the elders had said to them. And they, guys, they threatened us and we're not sure what's gonna happen next. And uh, somebody at some point said, well, you know what we need to do? We need to pray. And so they lifted their voices up to God. I wonder, do you suppose in that moment when Peter and John get released or, or even when they saw them get arrested. Do you think there was some anxiety in the hearts of God's people of the early church? Some worry? 
some fear? When are they coming for me? There had to be. How about you? Coming in this morning, new year, what's going on in your life? What's the craziness for you? Do you have some anxiety? Maybe some fear? Maybe some worry? I know, do you look at culture and, and go, fear of what's the future hold? What's 2023 gonna be like? I do at times, I'll confess that to you, I, I do. I worry and have anxiety. And in our culture, we saw it this week, like, right, with, with DeMar Hamlin and the injury during the football game. And, and so many people in this tragedy did what, what we really should do in those times of chaos, is turn to God. But not just the crazy, also the regular times. But it's just curious how God can use the chaos of life in such a way that it, it turns our hearts toward him and helps us recognize our need for him in a unique way. So when you face anxiety, worry, fear, whatever's going on, talk to God about it. Go to him. Go to your life group. Go to people you know who also love God and be real with them and pray real prayers. You know, uh, one of the best antidotes to anxiety and worry and fear that I found for myself is trusting in the sovereignty of God. That, that God's in control, that he, he's actually God. <laughs> he's actually sovereign and can do things according to his pleasure and he hasn't forgotten and it hasn't caught him by surprise and he's not wringing his hands. He's, Isaiah describes him with his feet up. <laughs> The earth is his footstool. He's, he's, not con he's, he's concerned, he's not worried. He loves you. And notice how they pray. They say, we, we gotta pray. So they lifted their voices together to God and they said, they started sovereign, Lord. God, life has been chaotic, it's been crazy, but you're sovereign. We don't know what's coming next, but we know you're there and you're in control and we can trust you. In fact, uh, you made the heavens and the earth. You made the sea. You've made everything that's in them. You're God. We trust you. See, praying real prayers is, begins really with just trusting God, trusting who he is, trusting his sovereignty, trusting his character, his goodness. Even when things in life either are not or don't feel very good. God is, he is. And you can trust him, you can trust him. They're, and they're trusting him in the midst of absolutely crazy things happening. When they heard all of these things, their response was, God, you're sovereign, you made everything. You spoke to us even in your word. Look at verse 25, uh, you, you're sovereign, you made everything and you're the one who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, you said these things. You wrote these things down by your Holy Spirit. If you got your Bible, you may want to turn back to Psalm 2 because that's what they do here. They quote Psalm 2 in prayer to God. They, they just, it's really, prayer is a conversation. And sometimes in a, in, a, in a healthy conversation, you just say, what I hear you saying is this. That's kind of what they're saying to God. God, what, what we heard you say Here's what we read. Here's what you said to us. And you wrote this through David in Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? 
kings of the earth, Psalm 2, verse 2, set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. If you have Psalm 2 open, you can underline anointed and just write Jesus. That's who David's writing about. Well, in their praying, they're, they're trusting God, they're, they're praising him. That's expressed in that way. You're the creator of heaven and earth. You're, they're, they're praying his word back to them in conversation. And, and they're talking to him about what's really going on. Real life, real life. Look at verse 27 then, how they respond to God's word, to his word to them. Here's their word. They say, for truly, Lord, in this city, what you just said, we saw it happen right here. In this city, we're gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus. Your anointed one, the one David wrote and said was anointed. There was Herod and there was Pontius Pilate. There were kings and rulers who plotted against him and aligned themselves against him. And, and all the peoples, the Gentiles, all of them, all the peoples of Israel, they, they raged against him. We saw all this happen right here. They're, they're praying real prayers about real life. God, here's what's going on. It's been hard. Part of praying real prayers too is not only trusting God, but facing reality. Facing the truth of what's happening. Not just brushing it under the rug and forgetting about it or trying to ignore it, but just saying, hey, when it's hard, saying, this is hard. It's hard. For, for truly God right here, this is happening. And, but here's the thing. When you trust God and face reality, you don't get caught up in it to where you're just filled with more worry and more anxiety to where it spirals and you go crazy off the handle. It's like, look how they pray. They, after expressing these things, they say, but we know, Lord, all these things are to do, your, your sovereign is to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It doesn't make sense to us. It's felt crazy so many times, but we know you're in control. We know you're working your plan. We know you haven't forgot. This is an incredible expression of trust in him as they just face the reality of life. And trusting him not with expectations that are uh, fantasy, but that are real. See, their reality was opposition and persecution and the murder of their savior. And it made no sense in the moment, but they were trusting God that he was working his plan. He was still in control. It made no sense in the moment, but they trusted him and they weren't gonna to try to escape it. They were just gonna follow him through reality. How about you? When you face those moments of chaos and crazy and, what do you do? do? Do you trust God's plan? Do you trust his sovereignty? Do you yield to the consequence maybe of your own sin? When you do those things, you're facing reality. And what's incredible is that God meets you in that and he brings you through those things to a better reality. But the temptation is not to face it, but to go into fantasy land and just pray in a way that wants to wrestle control away from God. Treat him like the genie in the bottle. And well, give me what I want. Give me what I need. 
taking it into my own hand, making myself sovereign. And really what this is, is this is just fantasy. And fantasy tries to escape reality, but it ends up leaving you stuck in whatever you're in. It never delivers on the promise. Now it's okay to pray for God to help you escape. Pray for that. Sometimes he will. But know that sometimes he doesn't pull you out. He actually walks through with you. Do you know, uh, I'm gonna go down one more rabbit trail this morning. A, a great example of this is in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Let me give you just a little context. Jeremiah is a prophet during one of the darkest times in Israel's history. Uh, for, for hundreds of years, they've been rebelling against God and God had been warning them through the prophets, hey, if, if you don't turn back to me, I'm gonna pull you out of the land. There's gonna be consequence for your sin. But they kept on rebelling until finally God goes to Jeremiah. He's like, Jeremiah, um, uh, grab a yoke like you'd put on an ox, put it on your shoulders and I want you to go preach. God commanded the prophets to use sermon illustrations even in the earliest days to illustrate a point as they preached his word. And what happens is Jeremiah goes and over time he preaches, he's like, hey, God's coming. And God ends up sending Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, to conquer Jerusalem from modern day Iraq into Israel. And he takes all of God's people then over the course of a number of years hostage or into exile. He carries them off by military force into a foreign land, into a place that they don't understand, that they don't know. And it's a time of great chaos and sin and heartbreak and frustration and confusion. And in the midst of this, Jeremiah is walking around, he's got the yoke on his shoulder and he's like, uh, here's God's word, friends. Because you haven't repented, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has come and he's conquered us and, and you're gonna be under his yoke now. You're gonna serve him. He's gonna be uh, your ruler and it's not gonna be easy. And all of these things happen. God takes them into exile and they are under the, the heavy yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. And after some of them have been uh, taken into exile, Jeremiah writes a letter to the leaders and priests and really all the people who had been taken into exile. He, he writes from Jerusalem to them this letter. He said, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people. He writes a letter to them from Jerusalem and here's what it said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What's he gonna say to them? I wonder if he's gonna say, here's what I want you to write, Jeremiah. Tell them, hey, you should have seen this coming. You deserve this. He could have said that and been totally right. But he actually offers them some curious instruction. He says, I want you to uh, build houses while you're there and I want you to live in them. I want you to plant gardens and I want you to eat what grows from those gardens. I want you to take wives and to have sons and daughters and then I want you to marry off your sons and daughters so that they too would have sons and daughters. I want you to increase while you're there and multiply, don't decrease. And while you're there, 
Don't try to escape, but seek the welfare of the city to which I've sent you. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. When it goes good for them, it's gonna go good for you. See, God's instruction to them is just really, really curious. In the darkest day where they were taken into exile, he doesn't say, uh, here's the plan, I want you to escape. He says, no, I, I want you to build a house. What's that tell you? Get married, have kids, have your kids have kids. You're gonna be there a long time. You're gonna face reality. This is not gonna be easy. This is for the long haul. But here's the deal, there's hope because I'm with you through all of it. So trust me, trust me through it. I haven't given up on you, trust me. Don't rush it, don't run away, follow me. Build houses, plant gardens, have kids. I'm with you, I know it's hard, I know it is, I know it is. The future seems bleak, I know it does, but trust me, you have to trust me. Do the next right thing. Stick with me, your God who loves you deeply and face reality, the reality you're in. See, there's not a quick fix. They're gonna be there. Well, uh, look what Jeremiah writes later in his letter. This is what God says. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll visit you and I'll fulfill to you my promise and I will bring you back to Jerusalem. You're gonna be there for 70 years. That's a lifetime, which is hard, isn't it? But God promised to be with them. He still loved them. And he, he told them, he said, uh, don't let your prophets uh, and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams they dream for it's a lie that they prophesy to you in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. See, knowing that they were gonna be there for 70 years and, and this is gonna be hard and this is gonna be a lifetime, I, do you think they just want it out? <laughs> like, can I just go back? Can we do it over? Can I just escape? Can I go a different direction? Like, why do I have to be stuck here? How do I get out? And, and which probably made it very easy for them to believe when uh, another prophet came along and uh, started preaching not reality to them, but fantasy. Made sense. Look back in chapter 28, Jeremiah's got his yoke on and there's this guy named Hananiah who comes during the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. And Hananiah, the prophet from Gibeon, he, he spoke, spoke to me, spoke with Jeremiah in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and of, of all the people. And Here's what Hananiah said. He said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I've broken the yoke of the king of Babylon and within two years, I'll bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. Remember, Jeremiah is wearing his yoke still. Hananiah's like, I've, God says, I've broken that yoke and you're gonna be back in two years. Man, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? a whole lot better than 70, than a lifetime. Not 70, but only two years. Well, look at Jeremiah's response. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah and he said to him, amen, 
Amen. May the Lord do so. And may the Lord make the words that you've prophesied come true. Hananiah, that would be fantastic. I hope you're right. But then he goes on uh, in the verses after this, he says, but here's the problem. It's been prophesied for decades that God was gonna take us into exile and there was gonna be a, a, a curse for our sin and there's gonna be discipline for that. And that's the reality. So Hananiah comes back again and he, he, he goes even further and he takes the yoke off the neck of Jeremiah and he breaks it. And Hananiah spoke again and he said, no, here's what God says. Even so, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon from the neck of all the nations. Jeremiah just went his way. One of these guys is right, one of them's wrong. One is facing reality, one is preaching fantasy and trying to escape reality. Well, Jeremiah turns out to be the one that's right. He says it's a lie that you can escape this. It's not true. In fact, you're gonna be there for 70 years. God's word faces reality. And when we pray real prayers, when we turn to him and follow him, we follow him through the midst of real life. Not in some fantasy world where you like the Lego movie, everything is awesome. You know? It's hard. 70 years, it's a lifetime of exile. But look what God says. I know you're in exile, but I know the plans that I have for you. I know them, declares the Lord. They're plans for welfare, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. But to get to that future, you're gonna have to trust me through the now. And it's not gonna be easy. Well, I think when, um, when we're in Acts chapter two, as we fast forward again, we're seeing God's people having to a degree learned this lesson. Going, you know, there's all this chaos around, all this craziness, and we could pray for God just to fix it and take us out, and, and we should, but we're also just gonna trust him through it, knowing he's working his plan. And his plan is for our good. And so when we pray to him and we ask him, we're gonna take into consideration the words of James. James says, you know, sometimes you don't have because you don't ask, but, and sometimes you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly. When God's will is maybe something different. His will is to, to grow you and to help you through it. So here's what they pray, facing reality and trusting God. So now, Lord, uh, Look upon their threats. I wonder if in this, like we're, we're kind of afraid. And grant to us though, notice they don't pray to, to escape. They say, help us continue. Help us continue to follow, to speak your word with boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Friends, as we wrap up, uh, when life gets crazy and even when it's not, pray real prayers, face reality and watch God work. How's he gonna work? 
Well, let's see how he works here for a moment. Uh, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. He works in two ways. He works in the midst of whatever's going on and sometimes he changes what's going on. In their case, he shook the ground after they prayed, right? In your case, whatever it is, whatever your crazy is right now, he may change that for you and that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Pray with somebody about that this morning. But there's a greater thing that he's, in which he's working where you can watch him work and that's uh, not always changing your situation. He'll be with you through the midst of it but then also uh, notice he fills them with the spirit. He's changing you. It's, it's in you. Jesus had said, I, I, when he prayed for us, I pray, Lord, not that you take them out of the world and escape, but that you uh, send them into the world and, and I'll be with them like you're with me. He's working in you. When they had prayed, they were filled with the spirit. Romans eight, we read this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you know why he does that through reality? Well, let's read the next verse. Because God knew all of his people in advance. He knew you and he chose you, he chose me. To do what? To become like his son. And through the midst of that reality, facing it, whatever it is, he's at work. And one of the biggest ways he's likely at work is in you, shaping you to be more like Jesus. As we wrap up and as the worship team comes forward, we're gonna put this into practice a little bit this morning as we close. When life gets crazy, pray real prayers. Watch God work. Uh, We've used this acronym uh, as a model for prayer a number of times as a church family, usually about once a month. And uh, it's just an acronym, P-R-A-Y. It's a helpful way to think to pray. First is to, to praise God. Uh, it's good to praise God and it's a good way to start prayer. Praising him for who he is. Lord, I praise you for this. Lord, I thank you for this. Sovereign Lord, you're the maker of heaven and earth and everything in it. And I praise you for that, that you spoke to me through your word. And then uh, to repent, Lord, Lord, forgive me for this. Lord, I confess this. Ask his forgiveness. He offers it freely to you. And then ask as well uh, for what it is that is going on in real life for you. Ask him to totally change the situation. He might. But also ask him to help you through it, to remind you of his presence in the midst of it. And then finally, yield to him. Just yield, trust him, and follow him. So as the worship team prays, you can remain seated for a while and then we'll invite you to stand. the lights will go out here in a moment and uh, we're just gonna put this into practice and, and pray together. Sound good? So uh, let's begin uh, with, with praise. With praise. Uh, what is it you could praise God for today? You know, uh, Psalm 150 verse six says, let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. You've made it through the whole message. You're breathing. You have breath. Praise the Lord. <laughs>
What are the good things you could praise him for this morning? Just give you some time just in the quietness of your heart. You can close your eyes, you can journal, you can keep them open, whatever you want to do. But just praise God. Thank him. God, I praise you for this. God, I thank you for this, for who you are. Maybe you just pray what they prayed in Acts 4. Sovereign Lord, you're the maker of heaven and earth and the seas and everything. By now they fall, but you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never. still stands great is your faithfulness your faithfulness still in your hands this is my confidence you never fail me yet Let's take some time to repent. And again, just in the quietness of your heart, turn to the Lord. Confess your sin to him. David said in Psalm 51, you might even just pray this. God, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. In other words, forgive me. Create in me a clean heart. God, renew a right spirit in me. Be specific about your confession. Ask God for forgiveness and ask who maybe he would call you to forgive. Clear your conscience before him. Just just do that now in the quietness of your heart. shortcoming before you, but we pray like David did, that you'd forgive us, that you'd cleanse us, that you'd make our hearts new, you give us new life and new hope. We thank you that you forgive us. We thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive our sins. Thank you for Jesus. Sing your 
now we come to the part of uh, this time of prayer where we get to ask God and we ask him. You know, this is often where we start when we think of prayer, and which is a good thing. It's good to ask God for help and for wisdom. He, he longs for us to do that. And so uh, as you do, um, ask in a way like what we saw in the text this morning, facing reality, asking for God's help through whatever is going on. Asking him to change it for sure, but also asking him to change you and be with you. James wrote, Jesus' little brother, you don't have because you don't ask and you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. So pray in faith, ask in faith, ask with patience, knowing God's timing is different than ours and ask boldly. Spend some time asking God, and then uh, when you hear the worship team uh, begin singing again here in a moment, uh, let's stand together and uh, we'll continue in worship. But ask Him. to you. 
God, we've seen you move. We've seen you move in powerful ways in each of our lives, in our church. And Lord, we pray in faith that you would work in us again. You'd continue in those ways. And Lord, we, we pray you'd change the situations we prayed for and prayed about. But we pray especially, Lord, you would uh, do it again in our hearts, that you'd change us, draw us close to you, and let us see you work in our hearts and in our lives, bringing joy and peace, even in the midst of chaos. Father, thanks for Jesus. We pray all this through him, and we trust your promise. Promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. Still in your hands, this is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. You've never failed me yet. Well, as you head out today. Uh, maybe uh, God's been working in your heart this morning. You just need to talk to somebody. You just need to pray. There's people available up front at the cross in the back who'd love to pray with you, just talk with you, just sit with you if you need that. Uh, don't leave if that's you. Uh, but for all of, all of you, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace forevermore. You're loved. Have a great week.